<laughs> Welcome to TNT Art Forum, a podcast of the new theater. Produced in Richmond, Virginia. Welcome back to TNT Art Forum. I am Hannah Sakura, the new theater's director and podcast producer. I am interviewing a really special guest this week with Vita Williams, our executive director. She is a guest who's close to my heart. It is Crystal Skillman. I will be upfront and say that I do have a personal connection with our current guest. Crystal Skillman. She was my playwriting teacher at Pace University, where I got my degree, my BFA. She was an incredible teacher, but she is an even more stunning, heartbreaking, funny, award-winning writer. Crystal's work spans all genres, podcasts, musicals, plays, comic books, and much, much more. She wrote the book for the musical Mary and Max with composer Bobby Cronin, and her comic book credits include work for Marvel and Adventure Time. Very exciting. Um, she had the New York Times critics pick of her play Open, and also has a popular audio drama called King Kirby, which you can listen to on the Broadway Podcast Network. Um, right now, as we interview her, she is stationed in London, good old London, where her work, Rain and Zoe Save the World, premieres in the West End at the German Street Theater, directed by my Pace College alum, Hirsch Ellis, and it's featured original music by Bobby Cronin. That premiered February 10th through March 12th. We talk a lot about what it has been like making work across the pond and the differences between the UK and the US and what the pandemic has done to her community as a playwright and a writer and an activist as well. Rain and Zoe is about two teenage climate activists from Washington State and they embark on a motorcycle journey to join a group of oil protesters and it's a coming of age story. It's a road trip story but it's also more importantly a story of act of young activism. Her musical, Postcard American Town, is having a production at San Diego State University April 29th through May 5th. So if you want to catch something that is coming up of Crystal's work, I can say so much about her and how I have worked with her as an actor, as a dramaturg, as a teacher, many things. And I'm so excited to introduce her to Vida on this podcast and to our listeners. So previous hannah and vita take it away so crystal i i don't have the privilege of having known you for years like hannah did and have only just studied and become enamored and enthralled literally those two words with kind of your thought process as you get into art and i think i want to hop into a thread that we were kind of pulling on and that you know i was making making lighter so that it is approachable the fact that we don't have a helpline for racism and other types of discriminations instead we have helplines for depression and that is because it it the other parts that lead to that type of depression and lead to anxiety and lead to those things are so ingrained kind of in our society that we just go ahead and jump to the consequence as opposed to the root I feel like through COVID, we pressure cooked all of that. And so now, especially in the United States, so I don't think it's probably as 
prevalent in other countries, but especially in the United States, we kind of went into a cocoon and we're coming out and we're trying to decide who we are. And one of the things that I love about the themes in your work is the way in which imagination helps to shape self, character self, right? And so one of the things, and it, it may be a little nerdy of a question, but I really want to I really want to unpack this with you because I feel like we can, like we're on that wavelength together. When we're thinking about who we went into this, this cocoon with, where do you think the collective imagination is going to lead us on the way out? And then the tangential question is, especially because we have so many more mediums of expression through which to express oneself and then one's collective. Do you have any thoughts on that, maybe? I know that was a nerdy question. No, I but. do. I, I think it's the imagination. I mean, um, it happens in time of, of war. It happens in time of, of poverty and, and stress and, um, and uh, plague, like, you know, the AIDS crisis. We've often been thinking about that uh, with what we've been going through as well and, and other major, major health issues that other countries have gone, gone through. It's just that America doesn't, America likes to separate itself and say, we're part of something, but we're not a part of something. Or in the Trump era, we're not part of anything. And um, to come back to the collected imagination, what happened immediately, I, I think, were two things, either from creators or consumers. Of, of fiction. One was, I need fiction. I need fiction now to live. I need fiction to breathe because reality is so terrible. Um, I don't need necessarily fun time. I mean, I, I watched 12 Monkeys right away. I just said, I'm just going to own it. I'm thinking 12 Monkeys. I'm just going to live through it. I just cried for three hours. I was like, okay, great. Um, I'll watch Papillon. I'll watch all the movies that are, I'm thinking of right now. Um, uh, and um, but in terms of writers, I think we were given a gift, but that gift now is, is going to be coming back. And I would say that the gift is I wrote immediately. I said writers are the solution to all this, like writers. Yeah. Are the answer. And because we're able to create new worlds and we were able to work. So it, that was a little tough for my friends that were actors and directors. I mean, they were definitely finding their way, making their own videos. But yes. we immediately were like, I can create um, uh, you know, a pilot, a play, a comic book, you know, something we can start to make things. And so we started to kind of look and reflect and use this time. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily all pandemic related, but use those emotions. So I could be crying and writing and I could be making. And one of the reasons why this collective imagination is so important as, as you were getting at Vita is that it's about empathy. You know, it's about when we go through things together and when we experience them together. And that's what theater ultimately does. You can see other people in the theater with you. Um, but we learned you could do that through streaming too, in different ways, there are all different ways to connect. Um, so what was also happening for writers in terms of their own creation is all of a sudden they were going into zoom rooms of other writers. So I was in many, many, and I still am in a lot of TV and screenwriting groups and, uh, and comic book writing groups. And, and because we were, we didn't have these boundaries of, um, space and time in a way we could hop online together. I was meeting more diverse writers and voices than I'd ever had before. I had in my classrooms and when I talked um, and I was championing those voices, but now I had them tenfold and we were all making something together. So I think what we're coming out of this time is um, a diversity in race, sexual identity, gender identity, age. Um, and we're, 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 what we're able to come out with Vita in a strong way is say, we already knew it was a lie and we felt weird about it. Like the matrix is a really dumb movie, but like it's, it, it, it basically says what we feel, which is that we're the invasion of those bodies natures or these sci-fi movies, the idea that like, this is bullshit. Like we get it, you know? Um, but we weren't able to say why it's bullshit. All of us to the same extent or unite and say it's bullshit because, um, great stories bring us together and great stories need to be told. And there is no scarcity. That's not real. And I actually think that a lot of us didn't understand we were working that way because we were so conditioned, like, oh, only this theater can only pick five plays a season. Okay, I just gotta I just gotta figure it out. And like, but now it was like this collective thing being like, yeah, that's 
you know, if they can only pick five plays, that's fine. I'm not going to beat up on them, but like, you know, that's not fucking reality. That doesn't mean I have to stop writing. And, you know, so like it, it just, the collective information um, and writers have honestly also just, um, it's funny. I work in musical theater too. And they're always like, everyone's so mean. And I'm like, I don't, I work in the straight play world. We really don't feel that way. Like I, I feel like, I feel like writers of note. I feel like if you wrote Lynn Nottage, I, she would write you back. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we really care and we mentor and, and uh, you know, it may take three months or something, but the, you know, it's like Diana's son is going to write you back. Like these things are going to happen. Um, uh, so I'm not, so the musical theater world, you know, feels sometimes like they, they, they feel like it gets catty and stuff. I've always felt like straight playwriters are united. We always have been. And I think that now we're able to say, okay, who got so much space in real estate? Where can you make that space for others? What is that conversation? And I, I was so excited by it because I was already, I already understood that theater was um, manipulative in terms of scarcity in this, this three to five play seasons. So I started working comics and other mediums. And I found that by doing that, I was like, awesome. Like I can be this white female identifying writer um, and do things, but also not take up space and also ask what stories write for what place and what time. And, and then that can give me availability to help raise up voices that enhance our culture and our community and give back that are not my own. That could be someone who's 25, could be someone who's black or Asian American or Asian or, you know, all these things, Latino, like, and, and that's the game. That's the fun part of the game. It's like, we're all lifting each other up and isn't that the best? And, um, you know, and I honestly, it wasn't until Trump was uh, running for election and then was elected that I think I understood sexism very well, but I didn't get it in the sense that like, there are people, you know, same people felt this too. Maybe, you know, if you're a black and you're working with a white person and you're like, you understood, of course, like you live in this country, which is racist, but the level to the extent of the, the shit that people were holding inside just became really clear. It became really clear that people that sometimes liked me, it was just because I had pigtails. Like it, it, it was just sexist. It was sexist shit. Yeah. Like then I was dealing with sexist shit every day and I didn't really understand it. And I was making, I wasn't making light of it, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't calling it out, you yeah. know? And now I'm like, no, I mean, we, this is not, this shall not pass. You know, we, we have to, talk about this so i think that's the best thing that that it did it, like you said it it, it it opened up like the eye of the storm we're all in the eye of the storm together now we see collectively and how do we move writers do not have the same agenda that producers and and people um, that deal with financial wealth in a certain way have yeah. so they can be authentic and they can give truth and i just believe that the truth and the words and the kind of conversation we're having now is what is what will um, lead to to that work. There's another reason why writers are super important is that that's that journalists are being killed, they're being profiled, and they're being eliminated. And this means that the actual truth and the actual news is actually in jeopardy in an incredible way that we do not really speak about. Um, it's happening silently, and it is international. And that's because fascism is on the rise. So we are all yeah. united in the fight against fascism, and it doesn't matter how old you are or your race or your you know identity. Yeah. We're all united in that fight or you're on the other side. <laughs> well, and so I think what's funny about that, so to, to just kind of give context to, to the lens that I'm kind of coming from as well. Um, I think what is interesting about the concept and, and I'm gonna focus back in on the United States, not because it doesn't represent the world, but because it does, because we're all here um, and we're all part of this global diaspora in one way or another. And so we're trying to figure out now for the first time, I think, what it is to be an unhyphenated America. What is it to just be an American? And so these voices are coming together and we're not just telling the story. We are for the first time taking up space and giving you black art. We're giving you LGBTQ art. We're giving you indigenous art, but at the same time, we're giving you the collective American story. That has yet to be told on mass. It has been yet to be synthesized in a way that we can understand the American story as though it were written from east to west as opposed to from west to east, right? As though it's being told from the people who 
went through genocide as much as the people who went through slavery, as much as the people who went through internment camps, as much as the people who helped those people, as much as the people who encroached on those people. That's the complexity of the human story. That is the complexity of the human, of the American identity. I think COVID is bubbled up in getting those stories out. That is, that is the radical and revolutionary difference that could break the fascist rise. D does, that, does that make sense? I feel like I just yes. no, TED talk that, but you it, get what I'm saying. It does, and I think that um, even, the, even the most talented white authors, I think, didn't understand how to speak not speak is the wrong word, but under, begin to, to hear that not only is it about what America is and adding to the fabric of these stories, but it's deconstructing America itself because yeah. people were brought here, people had things thrust upon them. Um, uh, it's, we, I, all, I think all, most liberals understood that America was built on blood and all of these terrible things. And, and that was clear. I think that was what was not maybe as clear that I think now is honestly becoming clear with allies is, um, our experiences are vastly different. And we walk through, we walk through America's in such a vastly different ways in ways that I myself, Crystal Skillman cannot fathom. I cannot fathom them because, because my ancestry is so far removed from, from another's ancestry. And we have to honor that ancestry. And that is not, I mean, I think we can say this, this zoom room, uh, I'm calling from the Lenape lands. Normally I would say that in Brooklyn, actually, you know, I'm not in, in America right now, but there's a lot of shit that's gone down in London. I'm sure. So, um, but, um, uh, that's okay. That's great. And I like that theaters do that too. I think it's awesome, but like, this is, this is, that's performative and yes. it's good. It has an effect. But, but it doesn't register in the brain as much as when I'm working with, you know, a black actor who says to me, when I, I can't say these lines because I don't feel this way about America because this is not my, this is, I, this is yeah. not, my place. this is not my world. And this has done nothing but hurt me every day. And so I can't, and these are the conversations we need to have and just understand to, to, to each other. Um, and I think what's been interesting for, especially liberal white, um, folks, and I think particularly like the, the, the pink hat kind of ladies, which has which just been a little more challenging, is that, you know, it's like I protested in, in Vietnam, I protested in the 60s, I did these things, and it's true, and that's a massive a part of it, but yes. that's part of American history that isn't about the American history we're talking about in these other ways. That's right. Yeah, and so um, it's, a, it's a richer conversation, and we're not going to get there like right away we're it's gonna be and, and that's good you know it's yeah. gonna be massive and ongoing and um and it should be and it's wonderful i i, I wish that i wish that people found more joy i know this sounds so weird by being done and not being done by being produced and not being produced by because because you're going to need time too to develop and you're going to need time to figure out where your story belongs and 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 there is a great myth beyond scarcity which is that playwrights or writers or get done all the time or have all these deals and I, you know that's a story but like half of that stuff took five years to happen and now maybe three things happen in a row and now for that writer they're probably gonna have to work for another two years you're not gonna hear from them you know the other day I was just like I love Adam Bach. I was like, what's Adam Bach doing? I was like, well, I'll find out tomorrow. Like something's gonna happen. Like, like, but these things don't like, you know, um, uh, and then, you know, Doug Lyons has a lot going on now, which is absolutely fantastic, but he's also kind of write those things too. So it's, it's, uh, it's okay. Like we need to go see other people's art and work and stories. And, and it's, that's the whole point, right? The selfie, the selfie in a weird way just created something so intense that we could still respond to it's you're lying to yourself and you're lying to other people so like we just have to like own that and just say yeah. it's not about selfies it's about you know it's about other people and it's about the world and it's a long life um i think that's actually the thing is it is a long life give over to it time is awesome time is working in your favor and that's what i was going to say i think the other part of that 
is that we've gotten so enamored with the selfie that we forget that making art is a call and response. It's a call and response. Like art, no matter what its form, is responding to a piece that it's seen or a piece in life, right? Which is art in and of itself. And it's this, it's continue, it's this continuous dialogue. And I know culturally in the Black community, we accept that as part of our just the, the fabric of who we are because we're an oral culture first. And so the feedback is just when you, when you can hear it and you can feel it, you know, it, it becomes more tangible, but art broadly is a feedback loop of information. And when it's turned in on oneself too long, it forgets that it's part of the collective narrative or the collective imagination, right? And that's the part that I was starting with. I'm like, no, we're bursting out of this, tired of looking at ourselves and trying to find ourselves back in our collective. And we're struggling to find that identity because we've changed. And I, I said this to someone else recently, and it might seem a little hokey and emotional, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Everyone talks about the caterpillar and the butterfly, right? As though these are whole things. But there's that slimmest moment of time when they're no longer a caterpillar and you're sitting there on the edge of your cocoon, like, but I don't know what the creature is I am. Like, I, I don't know what that is. Like, if I jump, what's gonna happen? What are these fluttering things behind me, right? And that's where we are. I think most of us collectively are in that small space of time where we know we're not a caterpillar, but we don't know what the heck we've become yet. And so we're struggling with the words to define an experience that no one's talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are. It's yeah. so beautiful. And, and you're kind of like this, uh, yeah, I think saying the poopa stave or something like a poop pulpa. I like, I don't really know. I've, I'm like, I've got one antenna out <laughs> and you know, um, words don't work. You know, it's so weird to say that as a writer, but words don't work. Wor words work when used a certain way with imagery and story. And the reason why is that if I say I'm sad, you know, um, that means nothing. But if I say, I feel like I'm drowning in an ocean of tears. Yes. Then you're yeah. like, I've, I've been there. You know, this is what, you know, August Wilson is a master of, right? Is that yes. kind of imagery, right? That kind of, um, uh, world. And I, that's what I try to teach my students. It's like, it's through metaphor and simile that we understand yeah. each other and that we can say things when we talk at each other, when we use words, just as we're just, just, you know, or you have to draw it or you have to do some kind of combination. Um, it happens in production here with Rain and Zoe, you know, talking about a concept is different when, than when the designer comes in and shows it, right? Like it's, it's, it, you know, and then it's even like, oh, you described it as this. I, I thought it was going to be a darkened imagery. Well, you said young adult. Oh, okay. What does that mean? So when we use these catchphrases and we use these words, what do they mean? And what are the images we fill and how do we get on the same page? Um, you know, quick little, little side note about, about caterpillars is that um, I have a garden and one, and I knew that you could, uh, I had caterpillars and they get really fat, which is kind of great. They like eat and they chomp and they chomp to the point where they're like falling over on themselves. It's kind of amazing. And I kind of got excited and I took a few of them and I made them like a little, uh, I read how to do it and I had a little screen and I had dirt and like I put them in there and, and they gave them all the food they wanted. And then one day I came out and there were like little, you know, cocoons. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. And then those cocoons did not move for like, um, for months. Like, and I started to read and it was like, you know, sometimes they die. Like, and sometimes that's the way it is. So like, and I was like, oh shit, they're dead. Like, oh my God. But I couldn't bring myself to bury them. I didn't know what to do. And I kept thinking, gosh, this is so morbid. You're keeping this thing. It's been three months. <laughs> and then one day, all of a sudden they started moving. And I was like, oh my God, I thought they were dead, but they're not dead. And then they started coming a lot. And they were like butterflies in the cage. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and like, I was like, oh my God, I thought they were dead. Like, what if I killed, I could have killed them. I didn't know. And like, so we don't know. That's to come back to your point. We don't know. Something's in process. Like it's really, we're not the storytellers. We're not God, right? And so then like, they were, the, what I love too is the butterflies are here. And it was so Charlotte's web. Like I just took off the screen. I was like, boom, they're God. Like, that's it. Fuck this place. They were out. They were like, boom, done. Like there was no like, oh, I love this garden. And like, I remember this place. They were like, I'm out. 
I'm out. They I'm don't care about you at all. They did, all they did not care. Everything you made, they were like, no, we're good. We're good. Thank no. you. Thank they you. Were like, <laughs> Hi. Hi, <Christopher." laughs> he was like, oh my God. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think there's something about that transformative thing. And I, I, when I write, I think a lot about transformation because I'm trying to make characters that start in one place and end in another. And if they don't, what is the relationship of those things? And um, and I, America is very much like that. And either you're going to be able to change or want to change or change with another person because we have to change all the time. It's not It's not like we woke up and like, oh my gosh, all these horrible things are happening now. Now we have to change. We've always needed to change. You have to change daily. You have to change all the time. And then like, so I think it's, 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 that's people that have been alive and stuff. And I think the myths also come from like, you know, um, someone's canceling me or like someone told me I was wrong and I can't handle it. No, that's not, that's never really happened. Like I've, I've never, I've never been yelled at anyone for misusing a pronoun. I've never, like these things have never happened. Like they literally, again, it was, we know the Republican party and the fascist party literally puts out all this fucking shit. And you know, that's all that. But like the truth is that people that give you a chance are there with you to change. And if you own that, you need to change that there is, there is um, res response for that. There is, there's place and any place with, uh, we're seeing in American television, what happened with Ruby Goldberg, you know, people need space to change and people to be accountable. And that's a part of the human experience. It's very, very important. And capitalism isn't really meant to work that way. Capitalism is meant to say, this is good. This is bad. This makes money. This doesn't yes. make money. And, and so everyone who's serving that, that engine um, you know, comes from a, a very different place. And so it's, it's, we just have to keep, we need a little bit of everything. We need that older sixties protest person. Who's like, I'm going to lie down on the ground for seven months naked and fucking scream. Like we need that person. It's like, yes, we need you to do that. Like we kind of need everybody's talents to, to, to fight what's coming because everybody's got something in their arsenal. Yeah that can work. Um, and then, you know, so we kind of need all these interesting activists that are coming from different perspectives to start to listen to each other and work together. But also, you know, I mean, we are united and, and Rain and Zoe Save the World, which happens here is about climate change. That is a yeah. huge matter because it's the one thing we can all agree on is that, you know, the air is getting polluted. We cannot breathe. Um, Soylent Green, what is set in 2022? I just rewatched it. Um, uh, yeah, and if you rewatch the opening credits, which is done by a documentary filmmaker of Soylent Green, it is one of the most sobering things you'll ever see. Um, have you guys ever seen that film? No. Um, spoiler for everyone listening, Soylent Green is people. You probably have heard that because it's a famous film um, based on a, a sci-fi movie. However, it's very nuanced. It's probably, and Charlton Heston is not a great man, but this is probably his best role that he did. It's actually a real role. Um, okay. Not that Moses isn't real, but like it wasn't, I, I don't know how much talent you had to just scream with squirrels in your hand. I don't know. Maybe it took a lot of talent. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but with the Soul and Green, there's three minutes that open it and the imagery is incredible. It has this great sound and it's like, um, it goes from early, like, uh, like late 1800s to 1900s building oh here i am in my fields and oh this is adventurous looking oh and i have cars now there's more cars and there's new things here and there's more buildings and there's more things here and people are wearing masks why are they wearing masks why is this going here already there because everything's getting polluted and everything's happening and it's showing the overpopulation through a, a documentary filmmaker lens and time and it literally is what we're experiencing right now and it's the first it's the opening credits of solid green no story has even happened yet um so it's it's all sci-fi has been pointing to the kinds of things we're talking yes. about. That's why also I think all races and um, genders like really love sci-fi because there's a place for everybody because it's always said these are issues for some reason. And it's happened in American television. You could talk about all these issues of the future, right? Yeah. And Star Trek, it's always been there. And like Enterprise, always been there. But like when it comes to now, ooh, what do we see now? Um, so that's very interesting. And now it's, we're starting to break that with the great, you know, I may destroy you and all the great um, storytelling we have coming out, which is fantastic. But, um, but yeah, Wi-Fi has always been doing that. I think there's a cool adjacency though. And it was one of the things that I wrote down, especially because your, your husband is a, and I'm, I'm just like a fan, like comic book fan, like Marvel. Like when I realized that you, I was, I, I actually, brought him up too and 
was like, oh, could I just get them both in a room? No, but one of the things I really, really wanted to unpack today for a few minutes, if you'll let me, is I'm very, I won't say I'm active, but I am very much a consumer of, an advocate of, a teacher of everything Afrofuturism, because I think it was one of the most radical movements for Black artists to be able to project themselves into a future state, given our current state was so dismal, right? So just the act of saying, I'm gonna be somewhere in the future and I'm gonna be powerful. Just the artist's thought process that went into that was a revolutionary act. But I also think it was a magical act, right? And so if you do a lot of, again, storytelling diasporatic, there's always this, this kind of undercurrent of there's, there's an energy, there's a force, the force be with you. There's something that is knitting this together for the good as much as we battle the unseen forces of evil, right? But I've seen it in your work also as a transformative effort. And I, I think they're all kind of speaking that same universal language of, hey, we're here. We don't really understand the complexities of our current context. And so we're just gonna get a little bit outside the boundaries of physics to figure this out. And that's where we're gonna find the answer. Now, I kind of just said what I want you to talk about, but I want you to kind of respond to <laughs> because you have such a, you have such a, a beautiful way of kind of weaving that language in and yet it, it has that same power that I feel when I am in the midst of, especially the burgeoning um, futuristic writers, you know, that are out there right now. Um, it's just, I, I think that's part of our current context is reaching just beyond that boundary of physics and going, there's the answer. Here's where we're gonna go. We're all gonna glow and write about mm, 2.7 years. We're all just gonna glow, right? We're all gonna be ambient lit or something. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. I love, you know, it, it comes from so many different places. And um, Erica Depenza, who wrote um, Colored Water, which was at um, the public, also um, is teaches from writing and Afrofuturism. And, you know, um, is also doing similar things in her own way with her work um, that I could see, and and this, which is why I love it so much. And and Erin Coleman, who is um, an up and comer um, and uh, has been in my playwriting classes, uh, and he has a play called the Life and Times of Uncle Remus, as told to Erin Coleman. Um, he's Latino. I've met Aaron and Vita. Uh, we need to talk with him. Yeah, he's on my, incredible. on my list. Um, yeah, and I think talking Afrofuturism with that would be absolutely amazing. And I think, um, but in terms of like, it comes from so many places, this is longing and, and, and ability, like a metaphor to step outside of oneself, which is yeah. something I use, I use in my work because when everyone sits down, everyone has judgments and feelings and things. And so I'm trying to get them out of that through a, a genre. And so, so Rain and Zoe is a road trip play. It has road trip moments. There are moments where they end up at a gas station. There's moments where there's a crash. There's a moment where there's a yeah. storm. There's a moment where they sing a song together. Like, you know, but so I use that genre to, to, to talk to my audience and get them on the journey. But then I give them very rich things that they encounter that are startling and disturbing and have to force them to change in ways that they didn't quite expect. Um, yeah. So, you know, and then open as a magic show without magic about the love of two women yeah. and using that. So to come back to for comic books, because I think there's a bit of a superhero element to that, because you had so many Jewish people that were kind of ostracized or came over here as immigrants or and lived in slums and had a Jack Kirby, uh, you know, we have the King Kirby, Fred and I wrote, yeah. Fred Valenti, my husband and I wrote King Kirby about the life of Jack Kirby, co-created the Marvel Universe. Um, you know, he had to fight, you know, to, to stay alive literally in those slums. And I think there is such a sense of the, of creating the superhero as a kind of other universe, you know, um, to embody that and give us hope, um, and live outside ourselves, you know? And so I, I think that 
that goes with Afrofuturism. And a lot of Afrofuturist um, painters took a lot of inspiration from Jack Kirby because later in life, early on he had these dots, but they got more and more prevalent. And he wrote uh, so many sci-fi stories, like the, uh, obviously the New Gods was instrumental. You would not have uh, Star Wars if it wasn't, you know, right. Quentin Tarantino and George Lucas steal everything. That's that's okay, you know, they that's what they do. Um, but you know, George Lucas literally took <laughs> Kurosawa movies and he took the New Gods and he made a film. <laughs> and you know, there you go. And a few other things. And Joseph Campbell. He took a little Joseph Campbell, who literally did steal from other cultures to talk about other cultures. But at least he's doing it for the point of saying, "Hey, I'm stealing from other cultures to show you these connections." <laughs> It's just like how I like the hero's journey. I'm like, we're all down the hero's journey, but also this white guy might have been the first guy to literally say, I'm a white guy, literally looking at everybody. Don't look at me. This is just my opinion, but I am white. Like he completely, and I'm a man. Yeah. Like he, he actually yeah. spoke the way we're speaking now. Um, yeah. You know, I I think that, you know, in looking for that, that, that hope and that future, you know, it's all here. And I think that's a bit of the conversation we've been having. Yeah. It's all in ways that you don't even suspect in the neighbor that you meet. Yes. Um, in the, in the, yeah. And so it's taking, it's, it's just trying to lift up the courage and spirit enough to keep going with those things and that kind of storytelling. Um, yeah. And I mean, like I'm, I'm, I have a new play about the Nazis um, that sent the rockets to the moon, um, but it's set in Huntsville, Alabama. It's actually commissioned by them. And because that's mostly where they say, so these Germans that again are part of Operation Paperclip, Von Braun is the major one. They bring their knowledge of missiles, which are bombs, but they always wanted to go to space. That was the thing, at least with Von Braun. And then they, they are working in Alabama, uh, but they never wanted, and Von, Von Braun didn't want to go to the moon. He wanted to go to Mars. Like the moon was just a pit stop. So like he himself is not quite achieving his dream, but all his technology, is on the blood of Jewish laborers that, you know, yes. made these rockets, you know? And yeah. so, so the surprise isn't that Nazis had secrets and we needed them and they sold themselves to us. That's actually not the surprise, like that's history. What's, what's interesting is we bought it. And what we bought was we bought, we don't want to talk about the Jewish laborers. We that. don't want to know their names. That. We don't care. We want this story. Right. And that's, that's where, I, I'm always fascinated with selfies and PR and self-promotion yes. and, and I use it a lot, but I'm using it for an effect. And I do that in the storytelling too. So Zoe, for instance, has built and Rain and Zoe with this climate change rib play. She's built a strong mythology for herself. And that's what gets her going kind of like in the futuristic kind of way you're talking about, almost like a comic book that's actually portrayed in the piece. Like a, she, she says it like a comic book, but when she meets her actual mother who actually had to go in violently and tr try to shut down a, a, a refinery and had gone to jail for six years and disappeared. And she's created this kind of mythical kind of like weather underground person that like has, is, is off the grid and fucking doing great shit. And she finds out what's happened to her in act two. It is like a devastation because this was her superhero. But, yes. And I actually had people when they saw the scene be like, you have to remove that scene because I like everything in the play. I can't handle it. I can't breathe. I can't. And I said, but this is important because when you fight, there is burnout. When you fight, there are repercussions when you fight. And we have to talk about that because then that's how we have to mend. We can't be a superhero 24 hours a day. The only person who could do it was Superman, but he has the power of the freaking sun. I, that's what I love about the story of Black Panther and, and like and, yes. and, and the story is that like there's so much woven into that story um, that deals with that and I, I just think those are the superheroes I relate more to or the ones that have to go through struggle. Um, <laughs> Superman's never I, I, I've always been more interested in this weird woman Lois Lane who won't get married and like has this job <laughs> and, you know, like it's just odd like you know so I, I'm more interested in Jimmy Olsen in <laughs> than Superman, yes. um, the villains, right? I'm more interested in them. Yes. And, and, you know, that's also why, you know, Batman's more interesting because his body can get broken. Like, that's interesting. Like this guy, like, you know, there, there's a version um, in the, uh, oh, I love him. He's such a great artist. He does Kingdom Come and uh, a few other ones, but like his beautiful paintings and he really portrays Batman. Batman has an exoskeleton when he fights because he's so broken. He's like in his fifties with like gray hair and like he, he can't yes. like move, but he's still like throwing himself off buildings. So, I mean, 
that's the thing. How do we keep going? How do we keep throwing ourselves off buildings? I think that's what we're asking. You know, um, it's not so much that we live forever or are immortal, but how do we deal with the time we have, and how do we, how do we try to correct some of these these issues? And through correcting them, they never really go away. I think it's just that we are learning how to make a richer world where that's not the normal and that's not the majority and that's not ruling us. Um, so I just thought of a question and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't know. So I grew up on fairy tales. My kids grew up on superhero stories. Let's just do gender non-specific because it's still the same. Like if you have these ideas that magic works in this way in the fairy lands, it's a much more binary type of activity, right? That's why I loved when, um, oh, I can't even remember the name of the movie. So we're just gonna forget that I even brought it up. But that, that idea of the way magic worked in the fairy lands versus the way in which force and humanity work within the paradigm of the universes created specifically in Marvel. Because I think the Marvel universes have done a much more coherent job of explaining the physics, the dynamics of how that world is integrated than C say DC did. I do think some of the up and coming um, writers, again, they're building out universes that are stunning. But this goes back to my point. These, the, this generation was brought up on at minimum, at minimum, you're talking about, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, these big universes. Harry Potter. Harry yeah. Potter and, you know, versus the fairy tales of 30 years ago. Do you think that that's the kind, like, are we seeing that in, 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 in burgeoning artistry now? Are we seeing, what is the effect of the difference in that dialogue of what is magic and what is possible and what is et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And it goes into right now, I think too, when we were coming up, we were all princesses. But now there's cosplay where you get to be like this powerful woman. And, you know, I took my kids to WWE wrestling, or actually I didn't, my oldest son took us, right? To a WWE wrestling match. And I remember the only woman you know, in wrestling when I was younger was Randy Savage's Elizabeth up on his arm, like she was carrying her around. I'm sitting here watching Beyonce, Bianca Belair now, you know, they're popping out and they're just whipping ass, like for real whipping ass, like we're about to fight. Like, so the, the imagery, when you start coupling the universe, the power, not just magic, but power, magic equal power now, the dynamics are different and the way it's coming out in artistry I don't know from a little girl who grew up with Snow White being you know eating apples and sleeping beauty and long hair like I'm amazed that I was able to even become a technologist in my life why am I not laying down still waiting for Prince Charming and these little girls are growing up like um so I need a battle axe for Christmas like I do like <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and build this bomb over here and dare somebody to come into my, you know, so I just, I, I love the, I am enamored with this difference, but I wonder what it means about the worlds that we can create. And then I'm a technologist and I know that we're getting ready to immerse ourselves in these worlds. We're going to put these headsets on and be in these worlds. Like, the themes and the, the way in which all these mediums are coming together. And Crystal, you've been in so many of these mediums, like where do you see all these things coming together? If you could put your futurist, you know, artist hat on, like where are we going? Because this is a world you live in with your husband a lot. Yep. I think there's a few things to unpack. Um, with the fairy tales, I would say, Many of them are cautionary tales, uh, yes. the, German, the German ones uh, specifically, yes. <laughs> I think, um, uh, and the European ones. And so I think these superhero stories end up being less cautionary tales than like you're saying what's possible. 
And I think, um, and there's another whole aspect that's coming up, which is that, you know, you and I didn't have access to actual women's history. Like now you can re, uh, listen to Rebel, Rebel Girls or Girl Tales on podcasts. I've written one Girl yeah. Tales and Rebel Girls is fantastic. And you can listen, you can, re, you know, learn about the, the woman scientist in, in 1915. And you're like, wow, like that's so cool. Like, so there, there's an access to, to women's uh, work, um, to people of different races doing things that, that, that these things were not part of the you know dominant narrative and now they're more available i mean they may be alternative but they're there for you in a way that they weren't maybe when we were growing up or you had yeah. to seek them out in a certain way and so that's exciting um it makes total sense that you said this about the marvel of dc universe the the way the way we like to put it is that you know um in marvel you identify with peter parker and not spider-man Yes. The Marvel universe is designed to to care about, like you said, the logistics and the person. These are people that live in the real world, and it's really their struggles with the real world that make it interesting. In DC, uh, you know, no one gives a shit about Bruce Banner. People might not even know that Bruce Banner is Batman. Batman is the is the main character, right? right? Like that, and so probably that's what makes Wonder Woman one of the most fun ones, is because she. She, she is a god that comes from this place. Anytime they do the real legit god things, and you're like, well, that's super cool because then she came yeah. from this like, whole island of goddesses. And that's interesting. I'm just as interested to that. In fact, she is kind of the same person and that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so so I think there's there's a little bit of that with the, with the storytelling. Everybody comes to stories, I think, at different times. Watership Down, for instance, is a, is a novel because of the, the hero's journey um, of the rabbits. And I read a lot of things with animal characters. Um, I read that every six months because I, it helps me get through production. I'm a different rabbit each time. Got me through Trump. I was big wig uh, when we were trying to make sure that Trump didn't get re-elected. Re um, but I, I'm normally Hazel or Fiverr. Um, now I'm Blackberry because I have to problem solve in the current situation I'm in with my, my show. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, but I didn't read Watership Down until I was like in my thirties, you know? So I think it's just knowing that people are gonna pick up different sources at different times throughout the eras. Yeah. And, but I do know that growing up, you know, I used to babysit these kids and um, uh, babysit these kids. And I remember once they saw like, uh, I was making them watch, I like making them watch kind of older stuff. So it was a little older at the time, like, um, oh geez, Men in Black. And stars came up and they said, that's Star Wars, Star Wars owns that. I said, I, uh, that's, those are star, like, these are star, stars exist. <laughs> they exist in the world, <laughs> they happen. So I said, what you're saying, the camera pans down, I get you, you're, you're saying, okay, I saw that in Star Wars. Okay, but this is, again, the stars exist and they did a shot that was similar. Like, it is not like, you know, so, so they fill in very quickly from pop culture, what yes. they've seen. And I think what's exciting is just, you know, and I hope it, I, there's so much available out there that hopefully someone says something or through mentoring or parenting or listening to a podcast, they understand. Um, you know, I think I saw Star Wars and I think I had to be about, I don't know, like, I don't know, like maybe at late teens before someone was like, watch the hidden fortress. Like I was like, Oh shit, this is the same film. <laughs> like I didn't know. I knew, I knew Kurosawa, but I actually didn't know hidden, hidden fortress. So there are just moments where, you know, you start to look and speak about all these things or say, you know, you're, you know, uh, Von Braun thought he was hot shit, but like, look at Jules Verne, right? Like, so like, you just like kind of look at how all these things connect. They are, and that's what's so interesting about what Joseph Campbell was doing as a philosopher. They all are all from, from um, different, um, it isn't Western. Like you were saying, that's the big thing is it's not Western at all. All cultures have said there's something about these elements of magic, of a, of a, of a magical item, of trying to get something uh, that you're different at the at the start of the journey, you want something, you're different at the end. Every culture and every story yeah. has that, and um, and even when we try to make stories of um, nonfiction stories about people, we add that. I think what I'm I'm missing, Vita, that I would be that I'm starting to think about with some new plays, and I think it's happening with the Rocket Men without talking about it because even though I'm writing about those Nazis, they're all played by women. So everybody who's a man in that show, which is the men, you know, so Von Braun's a woman and, and his best friend who gets brought over from Germany because he helped him with his book, but is a threat to everyone else who's 13 years younger is also a woman. Everyone's a woman in it. And then the astronaut wives, but there's not many wives in it, but they show up, they'll be played by men. They have to be very subservient and like part of, you know, Life Magazine and, you know, all that stuff. So like, I'm not saying it, but just by saying, 
you're seeing women portray these 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 men in history where are the women and i have i have in each scene like there's a moment where it's like i should go home or like they're eating things they made for them or and they never go home and you never it's like you know they never kind of go through the door it's yeah. kind of mad with a more stylized viewpoint um <laughs> the women sometimes uh say ads from the time uh, which i've had fun finding from the 1955 like you know you know is the, is this the right casserole or like does your pot roast love you? And and then there's like the Chrysler ad is amazing because it's all he pronouns. Like it's incredible. It's actually a great thing to study because it's like he has a car. He goes places. He has the love of others wherever he goes with his speed. He has a surety. He's on a mountain. Like he he he. And I'm just like, wow. Okay, because like, I don't know. Women can't drive. Like I don't know. Like there's no. I, I was like, what's happening? So like. You know, it's it's um, so I think to, to come back to something I'm just kind of a little obsessed with right now. That I don't see this talking about a lot about our generation is that um, I grew up under the male gaze, and so yes. I, had, I had Princess Leia, uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver. I had um, a few other people that did shit, women that did shit. Um, I, I didn't like really have like a lot of like strong films, no. like or moments or pop culture moments. Where women were like doing things, like you yeah, know, Molly Ringwald. That's what we had. Yeah, yeah. And think about that, right? If you tried to watch Sixteen Candles today, oh, you oh, know racist. just oh, how oh. bad we were under the male gaze. Like we had Princess Leia, Sigourney yeah. Weaver, yeah, and Molly Ringwald. Like, yeah, this is we were this crazy, is crazy, <laughs> and, and and the other and. We, we don't talk about the male gaze. So one of the things I'm not sure how to talk about yet is with younger, because it's still there. And so yeah. a lot of people are still encountering stories. We talk a lot about like, do you, you know, are you authentically giving over to a character of a different race that you're writing? Are you accountable in your room? But I don't think we're really tracking enough gendered stuff and, um, and what's coming out about what, a lot of the stuff we're processing still is about what a man thinks a woman should be. I um, agree. Or what different men think different genders should be. Like, like sometimes like I'm in friends with, you know, um, uh, men who identify with the he pronoun who are asked to write things and they're like, what the fuck? Like, they're like, I shouldn't be writing this. I'm not yeah. trans. Like, like, you know, we talk often about like someone opted something, but often corporations are literally just like, well, you can do this research and you can do this. And they're like, no, you know, if you have gumption, you're like, no, um, but it's, 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 um, yeah. So it's just something I'm kind of really interested in because we have kind of lost the conversation and about what it means to be female identifying because it is because we, that sexism thing, oh gosh, and to be, you know, of color and a woman, like, I mean, we're, the, the, the sexism thing is something I still feel like people can get away with in like such an intense way, in such a buried way. And it's still part of the workplace and it's affecting yes. shit. There's bullying. And I, I, you know, my friend was just, we were talking about this the other night. Um, yeah, I still don't know how to fix it. Like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a still so concerned. I'm, I'm concerned how we can talk more about it. And then J.K. Rowling fucking talks and ruins everything and says, well, I, so they, okay, so let but let me move it out of art for a second, or let me put it in a different artistic medium, because I'm a woman in tech. That mm. is what I am. I'm a female data scientist. That's what my quote unquote day job is. So I live my whole life on teams of men and have for 25 years, right? And, but I'm also an innovation it's hard to be an expert in innovation. So I'm just experienced, right? And how you take an idea and you move it to product. But one of the things when I was teaching the same concepts, entrepreneurial and innovation concepts, one of the things that I was explaining was our design aesthetic is masculine. And the example that I use with that, and this is just how much we are affected by male gaze and ingenuity is this. There is no way in the world that a woman would have made her cell phone all glass. Because when she's getting ready to drop the baby or the phone and she has to choose which one is gonna survive the fall, she would not have designed it that way. Yeah. Like it's little tiny things like that that tell you women are needed 
to tell these product stories and innovation. And that goes into all of the big conversations about gaming, right? Which is now a new art form, like those game designers and what the women look like in those games and, you know, those types of things. So it's not just the woman's representation in the game, it's what went into the building of the products that we use in technology. It goes into what do we think is a, just the nuances of just how we've prioritized what goes in which order of priority as we're evolving a piece of technology or an application or any one of those things. And so when we understand that this is, a, this is an industry that is now undergirding all of society and it was built from that lens, then what do we do, right? Yeah. The question is, what do we do? Because it's, it's that in, embedded, it's that ingrained. And that's why that Chrysler commercial is offensive to me because it goes along the same lines of why are mobile phones glass? Like you mean to tell me there's no medium that we could have put on this? We have the technology. <laughs> right? But this is a design question. This was a design question by men to do that. And now I got to choose between dropping the phone or dropping my baby. And I know the babies bounce. I've raised three of them, so he'll be okay, right? And so that is the, the psyche that we've had to get into with just using the products that are pervasive in our, you know, in our ecosystem. So now when we think about how are we producing art within those mediums, well, it's already it's already boxed in. Like the, the parameters are already engaged in a way that we don't have to rethink them. And as a data scientist, bias is already built in how we have programmed decision-making to be at the detriment of anybody's gaze that isn't looking at the data in that moment in time. It's so true. It is so true. And it's, it's, it takes a lot of focus, like, and, and, and to, to even try to, to imagine. And then the labor too, right? So the phone's being created by someone who is being paid so minimally in another country and, and being other sexist, terrible things that are happening there or racist things yeah. or whatever is happening. So like, it's every product, everything we touch, every, every, the, how was the ad printed or how is it, you know, when we see these things, you know, who, who with the paywalls, who was paid, who is not being paid, you know? So it's, 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 there's just this rabbit hole of like, what do we do now with theater? I think, I think it's, I think why we're all spinning so much and trying to push on it is that look, it's like a house, right? Like if I have my house, I could, I could, I could redo the house. I could refix the house and I could rechange the house and I could rechange my principles. Do I need to, to completely dismantle it? Maybe. Do I need to move it? Maybe. But if we just take away the structural things, which again, may, may the literal structural things. Yeah. But, but, you know, just, I know this is terrible. I just like get rid of the subscribers. Like, I just don't understand. I've never understood how they help. I never understood. Like, I just feel like you have something, you have something you want to sell. There's a way to do it. There's a way to involve everybody. There's a way to pay everybody. If you can't pay everybody with a play with 10 people, then only do plays with two people. Like there's a way to look at the resources you have yes. and find something that is inclusive for everyone. Um, and you know, that's what we're interested in. Or if you want to do something very specific with a specific kind of storytelling, this is Jewish stories, this is this story, you know, absolutely. You know, that's really interesting. That's really cool. But there's, there's theater is like, a, it's like a church. Like it's, 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 it's a holy space where it, it's meant to invite people in. And so, you know, um, and then if you want to do the bigger bells and whistles and like move things, that's another story, but that all gets into a whole other thing because Broadway itself, you know, those theaters also like, don't make me feel comfortable in the pandemic era. They physically don't feel good to me, like, like in terms of safety. So, I mean, I know we all wear masks, that's great, but there's no ventilation. There's no high vac that was brought in. Um, yeah. So I don't, I, you know, we've got, you know, it's a, it's a capitalistic place. It's, it's not working properly. It, 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 it hasn't been adjusted for, for safety in some ways that it should not, you know, again, I, in a better time, not with 
you know, I, I would feel okay in a mask probably, but you know, it's, why not? I mean, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like, it's not like, um, it's not, it's manageable. It's manageable somehow. And the other yeah. big thing, like, you know, you need, if you are interested in helping artists, if you really are, then you need to have people that can go and have coffee with artists. You need to have people that can yes. talk. If you can't send an email to people and even an email sucks, right? Like, cause you should have coffee with them. Like there are, I know there are lit managers that would love to do the real job of what probably a lit manager should be. And if you're not going to be able to support that, then maybe you shouldn't have a lit team. Maybe you should just say, you know what? We, we just go online at new play exchange and we pick these plays or we have a committee or just be honest about it, however you want to do it. But the truth is, if you really want to get to know new writers, get to know new writers, because even if you don't produce them, just giving them a little bit of a resource or a little feedback on their play or just a coffee is really helpful. But that doesn't happen anymore at all. And I saw this go away with, um, because I was interning in the 90s, late 90s, like a couple of years. I was there when Circle Rep Theater closed, and I was, um, which was bizarre, um, which was Lamford Wilson Theater. And um, and I, Ensemble Studio Theater still exists, and I came up through Youngblood. Um, but in both of those cases, like I saw where it went from, we take um, unsolicited scripts, and they, was, they were shaggy dog places, so they kind of took them for a long time. And then I started to see, because even the public theater did that. They had, they took unsolicited Once Once that went away, um, we came into another world. And then what happened with that, it seemed to me, just I'm, I'm piecing together so many more parts of this, is that we it really became white storytelling because the only people that were really progressing forward was like National Endowment for the Arts or funding or things like that. And it became yeah. very dominated. And, um, and then those people, when they were interviewed and stuff, like they weren't, like, like I love John Ware, but it just wasn't on his radar. Like he was just like, I'm getting produced. And like, so he would tell these stories. So I would read these interviews by artists like this, that said that confused me as a young maker because, uh, and I love John Ware, don't get me wrong. So it's not like, but you know, I would read interviews that were like, well, I was done in the black box in a, a cafe Chino in the sixties. And then, and then the public theater found me. And then now I do all my work. And it was like, well, where's this? And it's still kind story? of like that. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a, that's, that's, I'm sure there was a lot of labor and other things maybe that happened that John wasn't talking about there, but, and maybe there are on interviews I didn't read, but like that's was handed to, it sounds like it was handed to him in some way. And I kept thinking, well, where, where's my handout? Or my friend is like being like, well, where's that for me? And, and the truth is that it, it, it shouldn't have ever been like that. Those people right. didn't even that at handouts. They thought, oh, that's the road, but there was no road. And we weren't talking about it. But when there was unsolicited scripts, you could be found more and there was more opportunity. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's very strange. You know, I, I, I also always heard from, from literary that it was like, well, if we did that, then we would get these plays. And I was like, so don't do the plays with 13 people that was written by a New Jersey housewife, uh, that has a, a horse drawn carriage, you know, you can read right. that in 10 pages and be like, okay, maybe that's your rule. If I read the first 10 pages and there's a horse drawn carriage, I'm just gonna put this aside because we know this is <laughs> let's move on this danger about the unsolicited script and like it was it's you know oh no and we're all gonna perish i i think it's ridiculous and then so then the agents had more control but the agents also are you know a lot of them are struggling you know they're going into different jobs or maybe they're forming their own agencies because right now there's a lot going on and you know they don't uh, when i had an agent one of the most bizarre question things was be like yeah, I think they should do that play too. And I was like, well, are you, you going to call them? Or like, is there an answer? Like, do, do we get to understand why? Yeah. You know, because, and they're like, no, we can't. And I was like, are you afraid? <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. you're an agent. Like, are, isn't that your goal? So at least give me some information or try to get some information. And they can't even get information from theater. So it's an arbitrary system that's been able to do whatever it's wanted for so long. And maybe it's because money dried up from here or there or whatever, and then was racist and sexist to begin with. But like at this point, we're all naked, we're all in the street, we're all in this together. Yeah. Let's fucking figure it out, you know? And you know, like if you've got to shut down a little bit longer to figure out, I think we're all okay. Like we, we're, you know, yes. start, well, small. start small if you have to. Like if it's really well, big, you know? And that's what I love. So 
What you just said, I want to capture somewhere because that was a better pitch for why we started the new theater than what I've ever done. Because it was a response to, we know it's broken. We know it's broken in all of the industry ways. We know that it has become too, and I'm gonna use the word again, it's become too myopic. People are only seeing so many things because of the way in which the funnel is opaque. So no one is also looking at the larger set of the, at the, like all the inputs, like there's no, there's no accessibility to, to all of the inputs. So how do we amplify the, the, the writers? How do we amplify the makers? How do we amplify those things? And, and then for me, also there's the advent of technology and innovation. Like how do we use all of these mediums to support the dynamic nature of live performance? Like it has to be there. It's so right there. And I'm like, so this is what the new theater is going to be. It's gonna figure this out. And if we have to start small with readings and intimate venues so we can try these things out, that's what we're gonna do. And, and figure out how to be that person that has these conversations with dynamic writers, Crystal, because I could talk to you for hours, I could, and I'm sure if we had wine, we'd talk for hours more. So we're gonna have to work that out when you come back into the States or else- Crystal, come to Richmond or we'll go to New York, by the way. No, I'm trying to go to the London flat. No, we need to come to Richmond actually. And now for our community spotlight. We want to shout out the production of Sugar in Our Wounds, produced by the Richmond Triangle Players. It is running April 20th through May 14th, and it is directed by TNT's own Lucretia Marie. They previously shined in our reading of Addie across from actor-playwright Rihanna Yazzie. Thank you so much, of course, for listening to our podcast. We also want to shout out other up-and-coming podcasts just like us there's a podcast that i've really been loving by local richmond artist k talks they have a podcast called melaninated movie mondays podcast every single week they go through their research they started researching in summer of 2020 and to see how long she could go and her whole family go with only watching african-american media only she lasted six months so she goes through and breaks down the the hits and everything that there is to offer in african-american media um, i would love it if you all could check out her podcast and support it as well on all streaming platforms also, if you are local to Richmond, make sure to not miss the Conciliations Lab production of How I Learned to Drive. It runs March 11th through the 26th, and it is directed by Chelsea Burke, who is directing our upcoming production of Photograph 51 at the Science Museum. So make sure to check that out before it closes. It has amazing promotional materials by our lovely promo photographer, Destiny Martinez. So make sure to check it out before it closes and also check out Photograph 51 at the Science Museum, which premieres March 24th. And you can get all information for those tickets, which are free at all our social medias and on our website. This episode of TNT Art Forum was recorded at Common House RVA. The art form is produced by Hannah Sakura and Kaylin Williams and edited by Kaylin Williams. Our theme music is by Joyan Evans. Thank you. See you later. <laughs>